Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Oh, it's amazing to be here. I've just, uh, just really felt at home being at the Rhodes Church, and uh, thank you so much, pastors, for having me out here. You guys have amazing pastors, by the way. They are a treasure, and uh, God's blessing this area. I, I just, uh, when I met uh, Chad, I just thought, wow, I can't believe this guy is, you know, just amazing, and uh, just like God knitted our hearts together, and so I'm just so thankful to, to know Chad, and, uh, and I can see why you guys love him so much. So I was just praying about, you know, uh, this, this weekend and praying for the trip, and, and, uh, and I heard the Lord, t- you know, say, and, and I, I didn't do any, you know, geographical study. I'm not, actually, I'm geographically uh, uh, challenged. Uh, you know, I, I, if I'm, I'm the kind of guy who doesn't know what weighs north ever, you know, and so, um, you know, I, if, if I want to go one way, I actually tell myself it's probably the other way that I'm supposed to go. Like, if I think I go, need to go outside left to find my car, it's probably to the right. Um, and I just think I, my, my clock's off. Actually, when I traveled with, uh, with Randy uh, for four years, we, you know, we basically lived in uh, hotels, airplanes, and uh, churches. And uh, I, I visited 35, 37 nations, something like that. But I really couldn't tell you what they look like outside of the church, hotel, or airport. And, uh, and sometimes they would put Randy in a really nice hotel room where it looked like a little studio apartment. And this happened uh, where we, we would have the service and then we'd meet back in his hotel room. We would debrief, maybe talk about the next day, and I would leave. And I actually uh, said, okay, Randy, have a good night. And I, I went and left and I walked into his closet <laughs> twice, okay? That's how challenged I am. So anyway, I, I was just praying about uh, this with the Lord, and I just, you know, just praying, and, and the Lord said, and, and I'm not going to interpret it, I just know, the Lord said, Paul, I want to flex the muscle of the heartland, and I didn't even know that this was a part of the heartland, and, uh, and I asked someone when I landed, I said, is this considered the heartland, and they said, yeah, so I just like, God, whatever you're doing, there's something here, God's doing something, I'm so honored to be a part of it, so honored to be with you. Uh, well, I, I, I'm just going to get this over with right now because everyone's like, you have a six kids. How's that possible? I'm only 20 years old. I have six children. I know. It's supernatural. No, I'm just kidding. I'm 38 years old. Um, I've, uh, my wife is actually from Australia. She was born in Australia. She grew up in a country called New Zealand. Uh, her name is Ruth. And, um, and then she, uh, she was living in Australia when I met her. Um, I have twins. Uh, my son on the right, is his name is Giovanni. My daughter on the left, her name is Juliana. Real Irish names. Um, I'm just kidding, I'm Italian descent. Um, and, then, uh, my, and then my wife and I, we just went through this thing where she said, I wanna have all my kids by the time I'm 35. So Shiloh is four, Freya is three, she's being held. And my son Oscar is two, he's on there on the ground. And then my uh, littlest, her name is Charlotte. We call her Charlie, and uh, she is eight months now. I think she was like three months in that picture. So that's, that's the whole Martini clan. Um, if I lived here, I would own, I'm sure, an F-150 super cab crew something. Um, but right now, I, I, earn, I own two minivans. One that's like 10 years old and one that's five years old. And because uh, that's how I have to do life right now. So it's so good. All right. Well, let's, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for what you're about to do today. God, I thank you that you're here, that you're with us, God, that this is a preordained moment in time, God, that 
Nobody knew we'd be here over a year ago. Nobody knew what was going to happen, but you know exactly what's going to happen. And so, God, I just am so honored to be a part of your divine plan. So honored that these people here are going to be a part of your divine plan. Lord, I pray that you would just expose what needs to be exposed, shake what needs to be shaken so that what needs to remain can remain, that your peace would flow in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, um, this is uh, a lot of people. Um, I'm going to speak on, on this topic today. Uh, I'm going to talk about the peace of God today. And, uh, and I, I uh, actually uh, wrote a book recently um, called Access and Release God's Peace. You can find it in the lobby. And um, it's mainly about this message. But um, there's people who um, often will uh, hear this message and want to take it home with them. This is one of the ways you can do it. What's great about it is in every, after every chapter, there's like activation prayer that you can pray and partner with the Holy Spirit. And it's just a powerful, powerful tool. So um, you can find that out in the lobby. See, when, when I was growing up, I grew up in an Italian-American family and uh, a lot of different families and different family cultures might be very similar to my family culture. We're, we're actually a really loud family. I'm the youngest in my family growing up and I'm the quietest in my family. I'm also the shortest in my family. Uh, my oldest brother looks exactly opposite like me. He's, he's, uh, he's dark hair, slick back, pencil mustache, and uh, uh, we would call him like Guido looking. You know, he just like, he, he's, he was a banker and he just looked like Italian mafia kind of thing. Uh, I grew up in a church, a Pentecostal church that was all Italian Americans, and, uh, and it was kind of birthed out of a New York City movement, a holiness movement, and uh, they were just all Italian American churches, a couple hundred of them, and they called themselves the Christian Church of North America, which is, you know, funny. Um, but uh, they, called, they were called the CCNA, but they're a wonderful group, and I love them so much. But my family, uh, growing up my family, we're, we're loud, we're, we're rambunctious. I mean, uh, at the end of the night, if we're having dinner, we're all screaming at each other, not because we're angry at one another, it's because we end up talking over one another, and you have to continue <laughs> to raise your voice so that people can hear you. And before you know it, you're yelling at one another. My wife, who's, you know, of English descent and living in Australia when I met her, uh, you know, they're much more proper. You know, they hold their fork and knife a different way and, and they don't talk over one another. And I remember the first time she came over for dinner, I was like, you know, everyone's screaming at me and I look at her and she's like shaking. And I'm like, oh, honey, it's okay. We're not angry with one another. This, this is how we love each other, you know, like, and, uh, and so, uh, but that's the kind of environment I grew up in. Um, uh, we, my, my father, he had a really successful business when we lived in the city of Philadelphia. And then when I was a young, young boy, he had moved the uh, to the uh, upper sub suburban area, like middle upper class area, and his business tank tanked. And I remember um, my dad was just trying to pay the bills. He was just like spinning plates and just trying to, you know, keep things going. But there was so much stress in the home. I remember the electricity being shut off in certain moments of the year because he just couldn't pay it at the time. And and I remember one time going over to the faucet and the water was shut off because the water. You know, he, he couldn't pay the wa water bill at the moment. And, uh, and, and I knew what it was like uh, not to have peace in the home. My, my mom, she's an amazing mama. She's an Italian mom. And, uh, and, and, and she, she, today, she's an amazing intercessor. Like, if you want to be on anyone's prayer list, you want to be on her prayer list. She's the kind of woman who wakes up four in the morning and is, you know, on her bedside praying for people. But back in those days, she was a great worrier. She could worry about anything you could worry about. And if you didn't know what to worry about, she'd tell you. <laughs> she'd be like, you're not worried about this? 
I'd worry about this if I were you. You know, it's like, like it would make any difference, right? Uh, but uh, uh, I, I remember going up, growing up in a Christian culture and people would be saying, peace to you, peace unto you, peace. And I, and I would say, man, when is that really ever happening? See, because my understanding of peace was the world's understanding of peace, which is what? The absence of conflict. And so in my mind, I'm thinking peace is weak. Peace is fragile. Peace is easily broken. And really, when I'm, when I'm at peace, you know, according to the world standard, when there's nothing happening that's wrong in my life, I'm actually worried about what's going to happen. You know, I'm like, man, my car's working this week. I wonder if it's going to work next week. I could pay my bills this month. I wonder if I can pay them next month. I'm in right relationship with my brother, my spouse, my kids, my friends, but I wonder how long that's going to last. You see, even when I'm technically at peace, according to the world standard, I'm still worried about when I'm not going to be at peace. See, I, I don't think the enemy, uh, he's, a, he's a real strategic person, a uh, real strategic entity, not person, but he's a real strategic entity. He, he's not worried about your, your gifting. He's not worried about your zeal. He's not, he's not necessarily worried about uh, the church, churches of America. He's not going to burn down every church in America, what, even though he'd probably love to. What he's really going to try to do is steal your peace. Because when you don't have peace, you actually become ineffective for the kingdom of heaven. You really do. I'm going to explain this in scripture, and, I, and I'm just going to let you know right now that because of time, I'm going to go very quickly with my scripture references, but I encourage you to get the recording and maybe, you know, double check and make sure what I'm saying is true and look them up in scripture. But I believe that peace is one of the most undervalued fruits of the spirit today. Let's take a look at some scripture. Philippians 4, 7, it says this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I've read this verse so many times. I've seen it on, uh, written on bookmarkers. I've seen it you know, painted on people's walls. I've seen it hanging on plaques. But until I actually went through this journey on my own, I didn't really understand exactly what Apostle Paul was saying. You see, according to this scripture, what guards your heart and mind? The peace of God. If that's actually true, if that's actually the case, what's exposed when you don't have the peace of God? Your heart and your mind become totally vulnerable to the pressures of this world and the attacks of the enemy. See, the peace of God is not something fragile. It's actually something very powerful. It's so powerful, it actually guards you. The peace of God is not the absence of conflict, but it transcends and overcomes the conflict. And I'm going to explain that in scripture. You see, I think some of the problem is that our understanding of peace is really the world's understanding of peace. And, and I think even subconsciously, you know, we, we, we write it on uh, 90% of our tombstones. It's like, rest in peace. You don't get it till you're dead. It's like, I don't want peace yet. But the reality is, is the peace of God is actually meant for today. Let's keep going. Ready? Galatians 5.22, it says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And I, I was meditating on this verse, and, and I was just asking the Lord while I was going through this journey, God, can you show me, you know, what this is all about? And, and the Lord said, Paul, you're a fruit basket. And I said, Jesus, please clarify. Because <laughs> if you get called a fruit basket in American context, it means you're crazy. But uh, he said, Paul, in your culture, when people are going through a tragedy and when they're going through sickness, you put fruit in a basket and you give it to them. He said, Paul, the fruit that comes from the relationship with the Holy Spirit in our lives is not just for us, but it's to be given away. What happens to fruit when it doesn't get picked from a tree? 
It rots. It gets too big for its own good. It falls off. It rots on the ground. And I want to tell you today that you can actually go into a place of chaos, a place of despair, a place of hopelessness, a hospital room, and the peace of God can transfer from your life to their life by the Spirit of God. Or love or joy. I love the example, and I've heard it many times before. If I, if I took an orange and I squeezed it into a glass and apple juice came out, wouldn't you find that odd? Wouldn't you say something's wrong there? I said that one time to a guy in New York. He stepped out. He goes, yeah, that means there's too much GMOs. I said, okay, buddy. <laughs> Sit down. Come on. But it's true. If, if I squeeze an orange and apple juice came out, I would find that odd. I would say, man, there's something wrong. I'm not drinking that. But see, what, what happens when the pressures of this world come and the attacks of the enemy come upon us and anxiety, worry, fear, doubt, stress come out of us, as Christians, we should find that odd because the reality is what's inside of us should come out of us. And the reality is, is when you're walking in the joy of the Lord, when you're walking in the peace of God, when you're walking in the love of God and the patience of God and the self-control, when all those things are operating, when the attacks of the enemy come, when the pressures of the world come upon you, the more joy should come out of you, the more peace should come out of you, the more love should come out of you. His peace is powerful. His peace is tangible. His peace is for today. All right. Isaiah 9, 6 it prophesies of Jesus. It says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Romans 16.20, this is my favorite Bible verse. Romans 16.20 says this, And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Amen. Not the God of power, although he's all-powerful. Not the God of love, Although he is love, he embodies love. But who crushes Satan under your own feet? The God of peace. Why? Because his peace is actually really powerful. Let's keep going. It says this, uh, uh, Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. According to the Apostle Paul, Peace is a third of the kingdom of heaven in the Holy Ghost. If you're actually living your Christian life and you're going after things, going after power, going after anointing, going after so many other things and not realizing that peace is available for you today or actually believing that peace will not happen until you get to heaven, then you're actually missing out on a third of the kingdom of heaven in the Holy Ghost. This is actually so central to the gospel message that it needs to be a part of the centrality of our life. It's not peripheral. It's not like something extra you can grab on the side every once in a while. This is directly the gospel message. If, if you ever look at like origination of words, you can often be surprised by actually what they used to mean when they started. I'll tell you this, peace has evolved into one of the most beautiful, amazing words when it comes to the peace of God, the shalom of God. There's actually thousands of books written on the shalom of God, and you can actually read them and, and, and dissect them, and I will not be able to unfold all that for you in this session. I'm emphasizing something I think is available for you right now in this moment. But when you actually study the ancient Hebrew of the word, it is mind-blowing. Words develop, words evolve. I'll give you some English words that have changed over time. Like the word awful. You know the word awful, when it was created, meant this. To inspire unto awe. Like I could say, 
Pastor Chad, your announcements this morning were just awful. We're just so, so awful. But that's the opposite of what it means. Today, if you say something's awful, it's horrible, it's terrible. But back then, it was to inspire unto all. If you go to New England, they have a weird one. They're, they say something, when they say something's good, they're like, man, that's wicked. I'm like, do you know what wicked means? But they've changed the meaning. Let me, let's, let's look at this. Ancient Hebrew. The word shalom is made of four different letters. And in Hebrew, the letters weren't just phonetical. They're actually symbols that could sound out a word, but also had their own meanings unto themselves. And in ancient Hebrew, the word shalom is these four pictures. The first picture is a picture of jagged teeth, and it means to destroy. The second picture is a shepherd's hook, and it means authority. The third picture is actually literally a nail, and it's an attaching letter. It means to attach. And the fourth picture is a bunch of waves, and it means chaos. And when you literally said shalom in ancient Hebrew, you're praying to destroy the authority attached to chaos. Like when you pray peace over somebody, you're not asking that they would be still. You're not asking that they would be quiet. You're not asking that they would accept the situation that they're in and move on in life. You're actually praying that God would destroy the authority attached to chaos because peace was always meant to mean power in the Holy Ghost. It's always meant to destroy all the chaos because his peace is powerful. It's for you. It's tangible. All right, let's keep going. People ask me all the time, I, and I, I'm just going to fly, man. I hope you can keep up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, but, you know, people say, well, Paul, I pray for peace. I, I ask peace all the time, and I just don't get peace. And, and, and I'll just share this short story that will help you uh, understand this a little bit better. Uh, I, my parents, uh, when we moved into the upper suburbs, uh, I went to a new school system, and um, and my parents had an amazing, uh, fa- we, you know, we had an amazing family eating culture. We just ate until we ate until we couldn't eat. You know, we we weren't taught just to eat until you're full. My mom didn't know how to cook for six of us; she cooked for twenty. So she would say this: "Can you eat any more? Like, don't eat until you're full. Just eat until you can't eat any more." And so it was a different concept for me. And, uh, and so we, you know, she would com- you know, compromise in certain ways, but they were well known in the area to, to make like meatballs and Italian food for, for weddings. And even though they didn't do catering, they would just do it for family, for church family. And, and so there was always cooking going on. And, and uh, I made some really good friends in my new school and there was real, real nice guys. And, uh, and after a few weeks, we felt comfortable with each other. And, you know, a couple of them pulled me aside and said, hey, Paul, can we ask you something? I said, sure, why? And they said, uh, does your family like own a hoagie shop or something? I said, no, why? They said, because you always smell like meatballs. <laughs> I said, what? And I'm like, no. And I go home and I smell my clothes like, oh, my goodness, it smells like garlic and fried whatever. And I'm like... I couldn't stop it. I, and I tell people this. I said, that's why Italians wear a lot of cologne. It's not because they're arrogant. They're just trying to cover up the meatball smell. That's all they're trying to do. It's true. It's true. 
listen, it, the reason why I'm sharing that embarrassing story with you is because oftentimes we petition God like we're going through a drive through fast food restaurant for, for what we need. And we're like, hey, I'll have some peace because I just need peace right now. When the reality is you need to take residence in the kitchen. That when you spend so much time with him and when he so permeates in you, when you go out, you can't get him off your clothes. Come on. This is the reality of what's available to us. But it's got to go beyond just going for it when we need it. Okay. All right. Let's go. Uh, Jesus has this famous story in the Gospel of Mark. Many people talk about it when they discuss a peace of God. Uh, and I think sometimes they miss some of the overall message, but I'm going to read it quickly for you. It's Mark 435 through, through verse 40. It says this, that Jesus said, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And there was a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now listen, whenever I see Jesus interacting with the disciples, I always want to slow down my reading. I always want to say, All right, Jesus, what are you actually doing and saying in this moment? Because remember, Jesus is teaching them how to live on earth. That's what you do when you disciple, right? And so, uh, uh, you know, and I don't know about you, but I think sometimes Jesus is really hard on these guys. Listen, there was three modes of transportation back then. Walking, running, donkey, horse, and going on a boat. Might not be as popular today, especially in certain geographical locations. But back then, it was very popular, very common for people to take boats just to go across the sea. And especially where they were living. I, I fly about 150,000 miles to 200,000 miles every year. This year... Only thirty to 50,000, thank you, Jesus, because I'm, I'm tr trying to be home more with my kids. But I flew for, for a long time, and I just realized that really flying is not glorious at all. It's just a bus with wings. It's not fun. They shove as many people in there. They treat you like cattle. They don't smile at you anymore. It's, it's not great. But, um, but I, I, and I know that flying is the safest mode of transportation. Actually, uh, uh, flying, uh, uh, you know, there's... A, in 2013, it was the last time I looked it up, there was 404 million American passengers in just 2013, in just one year. So flying, you never really hear of an accident except every couple of years something happening tragic. But flying is actually safer than going in your car. It's safer than going on a bicycle. It's safer than walking on a street in a crosswalk. That's actually how safe it is. And, and turbulence uh, uh, is just a, a difference in air pressure. And planes can take a lot of turbulence. You know, like oftentimes when you're taking off because of the difference in air pressure, or maybe if you're going through a cloud, you'll get some shaking going on. And you never really hear of a plane going down for turbulence. I consider myself a professional flyer. I fly so much. I could go through an airport with my eyes closed. I, I find I fall asleep during the turbulence. It just rocks me to sleep, you know. <laughs> Not scared of it. I would consider myself a professional. But I can always tell when someone new at flying is sitting next to me. Because yeah. oftentimes, maybe going up, maybe going through that cloud, there'll be some shaking going on, and there'll be this hand that comes up. And so tight, you see the whites in their knuckles. They start grimacing on their face, you know. If they're Catholic, they're crossing themselves, you know. And, I, and I'm just going, oh, isn't that cute? 
they think they're in danger. They must be amateur flyers, I'll tell you, not a professional like myself. But if I see a flight attendant get nervous, if I see them running around going, everyone, everyone, put on your seatbelts, put on your seatbelts, get out of the bathroom, get out of the bathroom, well, then I get scared. Then I'm commanding angels under the wings. I'm speaking in my prayer language. I got my Bible out ready to preach my last salvation message. Like, this is it! (laughs) Why? Because they're experts. They know what it's like to see a situation that planes might not survive. Listen, many of these disciples were fishermen, expert boatsmen. They knew what it was like to see a storm that boats might not survive. And I don't know what happened in that moment, but they, the fear that was in front of them all of a sudden went inside them. And here's the thing about fear. Once it goes inside you, it spreads like wildfire. And the only thing that makes you feel any better when you're fearful is to tell the person next to you how fearful they should be. That's what the news media bases. They know that fear spreads the fastest. They know that it makes the... This is the, this is the model the enemy has created. And all of a sudden we become experts because we try to spread fear. So I don't know how it unfolded, but sometime in that boat, they went over to Jesus and said, Jesus, Jesus, this is a moment to be afraid. Wake up. This is a time to be afraid. And Jesus got up in the same boat, in the same storm, and instead of accepting the fear that was in front of him, he released the peace that was inside of him, and it overcame the storm. Now, many people will say this scripture, this moment in scripture teaches that the peace of God will sustain you through the storm. And there are times in the Bible where that is biblically true. There are times where you will go through a tangible storm in your life and the peace of God will sustain you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Your hand, your staff, they comfort me. That's a that's a true biblical statement. I just don't think that's true about this moment. Why? Because Jesus would have discipled it that way. I don't know how he would have done it, but if he wanted to do it, he would have said, okay, guys, let's, uh, let's hold hands, let's sing psalms, let's focus on scripture till we get to the other side. But he didn't disciple it that way. He emanated, he illustrated how you take care of that type of fearful storm. And this is just my opinion, and Pastor Chad can fix anything I say incorrect, but this is just my opinion. <laughs> if you read that scripture again, Jesus declares the destiny over their life. He says this, we're going to the other side. Whenever a real tangible storm challenges the destiny over your life, you have every right to stand up to it and allow his peace to overcome it. Because his peace is powerful. It's tangible. It's here for you today. In Harrisburg, where I'm from, uh, where I'm living, actually, there was a really horrible recession and there was a lot of crime and the value of life became really low and we had people shooting at each other and it just, it's just horrible. People getting mugged. A lot of our people from global would go into a hospital just evangelizing. And, and um, there was cab drivers who were, people didn't want to pay the cab fare and they would shoot them in the back of the head. Three different cab drivers shot in the back of the head after taking someone to a fair. It's just unheard of crime. Just horrible. I'm just giving you context for the story. A friend of mine, her name's Jen. She decided she wants to buy one of the uh, houses on the worst street in Harrisburg, and uh, and I told her, and I say, hey, don't do this unless you feel like God called you to do it, because I was like, hey, you should have Christian men move next door, you should get bars on the windows, you should get an alarm system, and she said, I'm not going to move into an area and shut myself off to them. I said, you should get a guard dog, you know, she bought a kitten, 
I said, that's not going to help you at all. They're the worst. People would break into her house while she's at work and steal the copper pipes to sell for drugs. And I said, are you going to do the, put bars on your doors now and all that? She goes, no, I'm just going to replace the pipes. She was radical. Some other ladies who poured into the vision with her and she would help the drug addicts and she would help the women and the children were just running loose on the street. She would, she would help be a mama in the area. Some of the other Christian women moved in with her and one of the girls, her name's Mary, is walking from the house to the corner convenience store during lunchtime. And this is broad daylight. She's walking and a guy jumps out of the alleyway. He holds a knife to her neck and says, if you move or scream, I'm going to kill you. Now, I have very many pastoral unctions in me. I would have told Mary, Mary, whatever you had to do to get out of that situation, I would understand. Whatever that man made you do, I totally would understand. To be a victim of such crime and trauma is horrible. So I said, let's just get you healed. Let's get you whole. Whatever, whatever we need to do to get you back on your feet, let's do it. But she looked at that man who really represents true fear. And she looked at him in his eyes and said, can I tell you about Jesus? And the man holding the knife to her neck, I believe, does the only thing that true fear can do in the true presence of his peace. He looks at her and he starts running in the other direction. And Mary starts chasing the man with the knife. Hey, get back here. You know, she's like chasing him down. Listen, John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Movement, he said it best. He said, whenever ministering, always stand on the rug of peace and never get off of it. I tell people, I said, it's, it's not me healing you. It's not me. It's the Lord. I said, I'm just an extension cord from heaven to earth. And I'm not. God doesn't change. But see, sometimes I have a burnt fuse on my hand. Sometimes I've accepted the fear in front of me. I've not kept the peace he's given me. Let's read a few different verses here. John 14, 27. This is Jesus to his disciples. He says this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What I love about this scripture is Jesus is identifying that peace is not something that comes from the inside. It's actually something that's a transference of anointing from his life to the disciples' life. See, oftentimes the world will say you need to find peace by emptying yourself, emptying your mind. What's the problem with that? As soon as confrontation comes, as soon as conflict comes, your peace is gone. See, Jesus' peace is saying, get filled up with something. He says, my peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. So Jesus is actually talking about a transference of anointing from heaven to his life. I know what it's like not to have peace. You've seen my crazy, amazing family. My twins are not from Ruth. When I was younger, didn't know the Lord. I call it my BC days before I knew Christ. I grew up in a Christian culture. I would consider myself a nominal Christian, but the devil had my heart. And you know, whenever the enemy sees a crack, he tries to make the biggest divide he can, the biggest chasm he can. And, um, and I, I remember, uh, and this is why I know God hates divorce, because nobody wins. The wife doesn't win. The husband doesn't win. The children don't win. Even if someone thought they won, they didn't win. I was married very young. I was 19 years old. And I remember, um, I remember 
And this isn't to reflect negatively on their mother. We just didn't know what we didn't know. We were lost. And the devil was just trying to make a mess of it. And I was not a perfect husband. I was not uh, great. I look back, I thought, man, now I understand why all those things happened. But I remember when my twins were just little, I mean, maybe a year, year and a half old, coming home and finding another man's, on my, another man's pillow on my bed. Now, I don't know why this man brought his own pillow. But they forgot to put it away or they purposely left it out. And I remember her sitting me on the bed and said, don't you understand? I don't love you anymore. I don't want to be with you anymore. And that crushed me. And I remember running as hard as I can into the world. And I ran into the world and, and I still worked. My job I had a great career actually at Verizon Communications. And, uh, and, but whenever I could drink, I would drink. I drank to numb the pain. And I remember being in the basement of where I was living. I had to rent a house. I went from seeing my children every day of the week to hardly at all because there was then a custody battle that ensued. I wouldn't wish divorce on my worst enemy. I remember drinking wine directly from a bottle. Now listen, folks, if no one has the decency of putting wine in a glass, help them out. They're going through something. But I'm by myself because no one could drink with me that day. I'm drinking wine directly out of a bottle. I'm literally at rock bottom. said, Jesus, help me. God, help me. I felt a presence there. I didn't know how to deal with it. I just went off to my bed and I said, God, I know you'll never use me because I just felt like I had a big D on my chest. But I said, maybe I can just be a good person. I moved back in with my adult, uh, as an adult with my Italian family, uh, which was an amazing experience. And... Um, <laughs> My favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. Uh, Christmas, I love the celebration of Christmas, but um, I love celebrating our Savior's birth, but I, retail and all the gifting and everything like that makes me so nervous and I get stressed out, so I don't really enjoy the process that people go through, but, but Thanksgiving, I love it because nobody expects anything from you. Everyone comes over mom and dad's house, you eat as much food as you can, you Go over and watch football in the family room. You pass out. You wake up. You have dessert. It's amazing. <laughs> Everyone should do it all the time. I go to other countries like, you don't have Thanksgiving. You should make one. <laughs> and I'm telling you this because the Monday before Thanksgiving was the first custody court date. And um, because of some things that were said that day, my lawyer and I thought we'd get equal custody or something. And there were some statements that weren't true. And so we had to go unto further investigation, which, which all got sorted. But that Thursday, after that court case, I didn't get custody. So my brothers and sisters came over with their spouses. We had an early dinner. Then they had to go to their spouses, families' houses for dessert. My parents are older. They went on off to bed. And there I am on my favorite holiday without my own family, just sitting there on the couch. And I remember the enemy whispering into my ear that night. He said, don't you understand? Nothing will ever change in your life. Essentially, I'll never have peace. I remember I believed that lie, and I went right to the corner uh, uh, bar that was right around the, the uh, storefront bar, right around the corner of my house. It's all dark windows. I go into that bar, and there's an older uh, African-American man, an older Caucasian man. They're, they're just uh, minding their own business. I go on the other end of the bar. I, get, I order a shot. I order a pint of beer. I drink them immediately. I order another pint of beer. drink that immediately. I see a cigarette machine behind me. I grab a pack of cigarettes. I'm going all the way that night. I go outside. I lean against the dark windows of the bar, and I'm smoking my cigarette, wallowing in my sorrows, believing the lie that nothing will ever change in my life. I'll never have peace. 
this older African-American man, he comes out of the bar and he's on his phone. He's just pacing on the sidewalk. And I'm not paying him any attention because I'm from the city. And when you're from the city, you don't talk to people you don't know. Now that I've traveled out west and down south, people are so nice. They're like, hey, what's your name? I'm Joe. I'm buying bread today. What are you doing? I'm like, what? Who are you? Do you know, do you know me? What are, am I, what are we doing here? And, uh, and I'm just getting accustomed to that. But, but, uh, but, you know, you just don't talk to people you don't know when you're, when you're in the city. And, and uh, this man gets off the phone and he comes over to me and he stops and he looks at me and he says, are you going to make it? I said, what? He said, you heard me. Are you going to make it? I said, uh, yeah. He said, how do you know? Now, I don't know why I said this, but it was like I was time warped back to Children's Church where the only three correct answers are Jesus, the Bible, and prayer, no matter the question. You know what I'm talking about? And out of my mouth goes, because Jesus? He said, Jesus? Why'd you say Jesus? I said, because I'm a Christian. He just ignored me. He said, what's your name? I said, my name's Paul. He said, wow. He said, you know, Paul in the Bible did great things for God. He said, one day, Paul, you're going to do great things for God. And then he walked away. And I threw my cigarette down, and I ran in a car, and I cried my eyes out because I realized, just like the psalmist David wrote, that even if I made my bed in hell, God was after me. And he wanted me to experience his peace. And it was from that moment on that changed the trajectory of my life where I decided that God's peace would either sustain me through the storm or overcome any storm that challenged a destiny over my life. His peace is available for you today. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.